I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt, with me with, this week is Joe, who's here most weeks, so that was a really weird thing to say, but hi Joe, what's up? <laughs> hi, the sky. Uh, I mean, I had to say something cheesy, I feel like I, I just have to, it's out of obligation now since you do it to me every week. Is the sky really up? I mean, Relative. the sky isn't actually really there at all. There's Relative. nothing there, it's just air, I mean, and then there's nothing at all, it's just void. And the blinking, blinking <laughs> nuclear plasma balls. So anyway, uh, so yeah, hi guys. Um, we're going to try and do some top stories. Uh, it's not like the biggest story is that tomorrow they're going to do a, a big Shadowlands info dump. So yeah, tomorrow will be news. We, we of course, don't have access to I mean, I'm doing this today. I believe they they 100% intentionally planned on that. You, they just didn't want us to have something to talk about today. That's they, all. They always do. I mean, so I'm going to have to remember <laughs> next week to bring up all the stuff that's going to happen tomorrow. But anyway, uh, we can say that that's happening, and that's big. Uh, I can also say one thing that's happening in World of Warcraft and in Shadowlands that I think a lot of players will be interested in is hunters have just gotten something like 200 stable slots. Does that sound right? Something like I don't that. play a hunter. Um, uh, I can maybe, actually go look know. at the article that I've linked in the email. So, two hundred. They will now have. You will now have two hundred and six pets total. That will be the the amount you will have because you will have two hundred stable slots and then six pets you can have. Um, I honestly feel like the pets you should be able to have ten pets on you, not just six. You should jack it up to ten. But I'm not going to really complain because I don't play a hunter that much. My hunter is still level 106, and I haven't bothered to level it that much because I, I don't really like the class anymore. I was really enjoying survival. They took survival and changed it so it wasn't what I wanted, and I'm, I'm not into it again. So, yeah, but, but a lot of people like hunters. I believe Joe has a hunter. I do. Um, my, the hunter is my second longest-lived WoW character. Uh, just like Loader uh, originally 
birthed as Abigail. She has been around since, uh, I want to say since Moltencore was released, give or take. Yeah, something like that. So, been around for a long time. I'm actually excited about this change. Um, I My stables are completely full. Uh, and I hate having to pick and choose when I find new cool creatures to, to shove in a box like Pokemon, uh, but without actually being Pokemon, because Hunters were the original Pokemon trainers of WoW. And uh, yeah, so the idea of having that many spaces to actually be able to, to shove my uh, my pets aside, that's awesome. 206 uh, stable slots, or 206 pet slots, yes. And... Uh, Oh, Nin! Hey, Nin! How you doing? Yes, I. we used to have lots of fun together back in the day. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is actually really cool. Uh, it's a uh, a great, wonderful uh, change for Hunters. And unlike you, like I know a lot of people don't like survival. I actually, it, the change of survival got me playing my Hunter more recently. Yeah, I liked it when Legion, when I could be a melee Hunter, and now it's not really a melee Hunter anymore. Yeah. Though it's not know. what I wanted. You you made the spec I wanted. You got me to play the class, and then you pulled the rug out from under me. So, okay. Uh, but yeah, two hundred stable slots. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's nice for people. Um, I I know that I want to retain married to my wife. So at this point, I have to say, Blizzard, please give us tameable snakes in World of Warcraft. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually really um, surprised we don't have tameable snakes, especially after the last expansion. Yeah, I I don't know what to tell you, man. Don't have them. Please, please, please. I, I, I'm, I'm begging you guys, please bring in Tameable Snakes so I don't have to have this discussion anymore. It's like she honestly believes that I somehow have the ability to make this happen. I don't. <laughs> please, <laughs> please give us Tameable Snakes. Anyway, uh, that's cool, but that's all you really used to say about it. They're bringing it in. It's a nice change. Uh, there are several nice changes. One of the changes I haven't talked about too much, I brought it up a couple shows ago, but I've actually gotten a chance to play with it now. The Single-Minded Fury change coming in where you warriors will be able to dual wield one-handed weapons again it's nice um i'm i'm seriously considering one of my warriors will be an sf smf main because it's it's fun it allows you Ooh. to use fist weapons again um and you can transmog swords and axes and maces to fist weapons now so even if you don't have a fist weapon you can make it look like you have a fist weapon so if for some reason you've not been collecting fist weapons because i don't know you didn't think you'd have use for them now you can and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the, one, the warrior I'm playing the most in the alpha right now, she's wandering around with a couple of really pointy fist weapons, stabbing everything, and it's great. Uh, uh, to circle what... circle back real quick, uh, apparently snake there are tameable snakes. You're, the ones you're talking about are not actual snake models. They look not like snakes. You're talking about, I'm talking had, about the hooded ones? Yeah, that's not, they, they don't count. I'm sorry. I've tried to make this argument. You're not going to win it, and I'm not going to win it. So, no. But she wants actual looking like snake snakes. She doesn't want the big, always open hoods that don't look like real snakes. Real, even real hooded snakes don't do that, and she doesn't like it. And I, I can't control this. I just had yeah, to say cause it. Because I was going to say, because as Autoluk pointed out in chat, Volpera start with a hooded cobra. Yes, but it's not really a snake, and I, I don't know. I do not care. This is not my thing. <laughs> I just, Anyway, so yeah, um, next thing we're going to talk about really briefly, um, I wrote a post about it yesterday, uh, the character Pelagos, who appears, if you're doing Bastion on the Alpha, right now he appears relatively quickly in the zone, he, he's up, like within a few quests, um, Pelagos was using they, them pronouns for a while, like it didn't say he or she, it just said they, 
now, however, it's been changed to more emphatically say he and him because Pelagos is essentially a trans character. Pelagos was was assigned female during her life, but when she died, realized she wasn't a she. She was a he. And gave her gave himself the true body that he should have always had. That's they just made a small change on the alpha just so people are clear about it. They then did a forum post saying, look, this is what happened. It's not an error. We didn't mess anything up. This is on purpose. We've listened to feedback from you and we've made this change. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm also excited about it because I'm hoping it means that in general, combined with the next thing I'm going to bring up, that the Blizzard's making some steps to actually broaden itself and broaden its games out a bit. Um, and the next thing I'm going to bring up is Joe and I did an interview with, with Madeline Rao uh, this weekend. Rowe. I like Rue. Rue. Excuse me. Madeline Rue. Yeah. And uh, when we talked about the book Shadows Rising because she wrote it and that seemed appropriate. Um, and there was a lot. You should go go listen to that interview. It was really great. Joe's really good at questions. One of the things we talked about was uh, an unlikely pairing that has basically been a fan pairing for a long time. People have been watching the two characters in-game and thinking, wow, it would make a lot of sense if they hooked up. And they do in the book. I'm not saying exactly who they are for a spoiler thing. We didn't give a spoiler warning, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. So when you get a chance, read the book. It's out next week. Uh, it's definitely worth reading. I think Joe and I's short review will both and be, yes, it's very good. Go get it. And if you don't want to read the book and you want to listen to the book, uh, I believe on Audible, uh, I believe the voice actor Same day, yeah. for, mm-hmm. for, for Talanji is reading the, the book. That's correct. Yeah. Next week as well at the same time. It's being released the same day the book is. Yep. And so, yeah. But uh, in auto, both cases, oh, hold on a second. Auto Luke, I will let you know it is not Rathian and Anduin. This is not This is not the ship. Don't worry. No. No. It's it's actually, in my opinion, it's better, quite frankly. Yeah, much better. Um. But at any rate, yeah, the book is really good. You should watch. You should go out and, and read it or listen to it if you'd rather. But it's another example of Blizzard, I think, carefully broadening out the character representation in its games. I'm not going to sit here and, and defend why they should do that. Either you accept it or you don't. But I will say that I, it's for me, it's welcome to see them do it. it. I'm in that camp as well. Like I'm, I'm a big firm believer in representation matters uh, because. I, I often talk about how Spider-Man was always my favorite character growing up, but as much as I could identify with Peter, I never identified fully with Peter. And then along came Miles Morales and that little tiny shift of character from one to another gave that character so much more meaning in my life. Again, representation matters. And then looking at this, like it, it we're, I'm happy to see this being embraced. So I, it, it's a good thing. It is absolutely a good thing. So, yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just got sidetracked by my wife retweeting me a Kingdoms of Amala re reckoning release this September. This is now, as, as she herself pointed out, the billionth person to mention it to me. <laughs> um, I just that's that's why I was like, oh god, okay. Uh, yes, I'm a huge fan of Kingdoms of Amala. You should all get it. Anyway. We should now talk about non-story stuff. We should talk about the emails and questions that y'all ask us. Uh, if you have an email for the show, you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch if you want it to be for this show. 
Uh, I deliberately ignored several questions that were for Lore Watch because they didn't. They actually put Lore Watch in the subject line, and they didn't put anything else. Ooh. So, um, if you also you, you don't have to use email, however, you can go to our Discord server and go to Q Patron and and podca- podcasting Q and Patron ah blargity blarg tongue not work. We have a channel for it. You can go there and you can ask us questions on two different channels. Um, we're, we we very much like to get questions anywhere we can. Last week, we didn't get through all our questions, so several of these are from last week, um, which is something else we do if we can. We try to make sure we get questions. If we don't get to them in one show, we try to carry them over and get to them in another show. Uh, if you don't mind, Joe, you usually don't want to read them, so... Not at all. Uh, hello, Matt and Joe. I was wondering what's your takes uh, take on Blizzard's approach to storytelling within WoW from a new player's perspective. I'm talking about how you can learn about the lore by playing the game. Uh, I've tried to get my girlfriend interested in Warcraft lore by making her play the game, but I've had little success, while other games such as Chrono Trigger really grabbed her attention and made her care about the characters and story. I can't help but think that WoW expects you to have your Warcraft 3 baggage and then some. Playing through Cataclysm quests as a new player resulted in a nightmare. Uh, She was never able to keep track of characters, their motivations, or the relationship, uh, relationship to past events that are constantly recalled. Uh, we've done a 1-60 to Lordaeron ride with a bonus Gilneas leveling to better understand Silverpine, but it was, but it still was a little bit awkward with things like undeads fighting other undeads in the Plagueland, factions such as the Argent Crusade, etc. I'm not sure if I should direct her to Classic instead. I would much prefer to play through that content in BFA. Uh, I would go as far as to say they should put it back in the game for the sake of good storytelling. What do you guys think? You will be even more confused. Yeah. You are not remembering it accurately. It goes all over the place. Every zone is a completely distinct and story that is not united to any other zone in any way. And you're just supposed to know what's going on without anybody ever wanting you to tell, tell you anything. Um, yeah. Why, why is Mancrick's wife so important? She's not. And you're never going to hear about her again until much, much later when she gets brought up in another quest in Cataclysm. And that is 90% of the quests in the original game. I loved original World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Played the heck out of it. I'm still here. You know, the the game was very, very fun. The game was also completely bananas. Yeah. What are you talking about? Why am I on a tree? Oh, I guess I'm leaving the tree now. Oh, well, hope we find out what was up with that tree someday. Oh, we might in, like, three books. Like, they're just... Wow, wow. I, one of the things I think they're doing right in Shadowlands, and I don't know what Joe thinks about this, and so he'll get a chance to tell us, but I think they're doing it right to give us anything we want, any from, from, from like, 1 to 60 WoW right now, or any expansion, and you just level through that. Because at least that way you can get a cohesive story. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, although I will say, and there was no name attached to this one, uh, so whoever asked this question, I think is right though with original WoW, and 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 I know it's they call it classic WoW, but I will always call it vanilla WoW because there, to me, there's still a distinction between the game that was released back in 2004 and then the game that is being done now. Uh, but way way back in the day, you were expected to have 
Warcraft 3 baggage pretty heavily with you. Like, you were expected to know what happened. Nothing was given to you. Uh, anytime you explored anything in the world, it was either a new story or weird one-off lines of something that may have happened in a mission uh, during the RTSs throughout all of the Warcraft games. Uh, there yeah, was a very heavy only, expectation on that. My only different would be say they don't think it was just Warcraft 3 they expected you to know. They expected you to know all the Warcraft games. They would mm-hmm. reference stuff from the original Warcraft, yes. and you were just supposed to know, oh, this is where you are now. Deadmines. Remember Deadmines from the original Warcraft? Here it is again. I, I don't remember that. Hey, you remember that one remember mission broken? with Andy and Lothar? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Broken. We got him in this swamp for no reason. The Dark Portal's over there. What? Why are they? Huh? Why do they look like that? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah no. It, WoW didn't care. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you're looking for something to sort of bridge the gap, I mean, I will absolutely 100% plug Lore Watch because I think we do a pretty good job when we do our recaps and talk about this stuff. And there's plenty of episodes to, to spend some time and keep up on it. Uh, but if you're looking for something to go more at your own pace or you want something that's a little more pr- representative, the books are probably your best bet. And I'm not talking about all of them because not all of them are... are <sighs> They don't all feed the same story. They all give you different aspects of it. But like certain books, like the Arthas book, is is probably a good, a really good one. Wolfhearts a really good one, uh, and then like uh, the the dragon aspects, like all of those give you a really good solid base of what happened in the past to move on to the future. Uh, and I think that covers your your basis for a lot of that stuff, and it helps sort of bridge that gap. And, and Matt, I mean, what other what other books or, or other sources would you think maybe lie outside the game that help better than the actual game itself? No, I will not go there. I will not give them sources outside the game because that's not my mission here. My mission is to somehow provide you sources within the game. Oh wait, I've completely failed. Never mind. Um, I would say that the Last Guardian book by Jeff Grubb is one of the best. Uh, wow books uh, to this day I would say it's one of the best ones if you want to understand what's th- what happened with the first war who Medivh is who Khadgar is why Khadgar isn't just an annoying guy who never actually helps you um, I know that's what you'd think he is if you played World of Warcraft in the few, past few years you'd say Khadgar utterly useless guy who never does anything good but no in The Last Guardian you'll see him actually doing good things I'm being a jerk on purpose I don't actually hate Khadgar but I like making people who like Khadgar mad because I'm very tired um, no, I absolutely think that, uh, the la- like I said, The Last Guardian, uh, that's a good one to do. Uh, anything by Christy Golden, uh, I would recommend. Lord of the Clans, uh, Rise of the Horde. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if, you're, if you are looking to just get use the game, if you're just going to play the game, I'm going to say, when Shadowlands comes along, pick an expansion and play through it. And the more recent expansions are going to be better in terms of a cohesive story. Because they weren't trying to tell cohesive stories for the first couple of games. Like, the original World of Warcraft, Burning Crusade, and Wrath of Lich King, they were absolutely trading on nostalgia. Wrath oh, yeah. of the Lich King is extremely that. That is what Wrath of the Lich King It's the Frozen is. Throne. It's absolutely the Frozen Throne. Yeah, so once you get past that, though, I honestly think it's a shame that people didn't get Cataclysm as an expansion... The problem with Cataclysm and Expansion was it spent so much time revamping the old world that it didn't have as coherent a, a world design for the new stuff, the the, the, high, the max level can, content that it had. But in terms of story, each of those zones has a cohesive story. You can just play 
Vashir, and you can completely level through Cataclysm in Vashir. And it, it's got a coherent story. Like the story is st starts in Vashir and ends there. Um, and that's true with pretty much every zone in, in Cataclysm. In a way, playing through Cataclysm is you're going to get the closest thing to a coherent story WoW had at the time. Mist of Pandaria is brilliant. Like I love Mist of Pandaria. I honestly think Mist of Pandaria is one of my favorite expansions ever. It, it's um, up there, yeah. It does a really good job of telling a coherent story from beginning to end. You know why you're there. You know what's going on. Um, Rulers of Draenor is flawed by having almost no in-game content compared to other expansions. Uh, I loved leveling in, in Warlords of Draenor. It is absolutely dependent on you knowing World of Warcraft lore. Like, like I think if you don't know anything about Burning Crusade, you're just not going to get as much out. Yeah, of I would, I would actually, I would actually say Warlords is probably worse than any of the other ones. Yeah, because but like, it's because even like, like even classic WoW or vanilla WoW and Burning Crusade, and even to an extent Wrath of the Lich King. While they didn't, they had like the semblance of a cohesive story. Uh, like I agree with Matt, and I think that like until you start getting into like Mr. Pandaria and things like that, the more recent ones you don't really have like a solid cohesive story. They're all little stories, and it, it's sort of from this approach of these games are all or from the beginning these the the, the base game Burning Crusade and even Wrath of the Lich King were like you said trading on nostalgia but all the quests and zones were almost contained therein right like you did this set of quests it was revolving around this character that you might have met once or twice so it's it can be daunting but you're not going to find a cohesive story in the older content um as far it's as vignettes it, it's, it's all very vignettes. much yeah absolutely it's, it's basically it's basically like this overarching thing is happening but here are the vignettes and the smaller character stories that build a mosaic that could lead you to an understanding. It, it requires you to be a little patient. And it also, when I'm saying that, WoW Classic didn't even have that. There was no overarching story of World of Warcraft. It wasn't about a story. It was about the world of Warcraft. It was about this is the place you are and these are the adventures you can have. And that was it. There was no, it's not like, like each patch would have a new big boss. If yeah. you look at original World of Warcraft, if you look at the patches where like expansions are now, where like okay, this patch first is, it was Ragnaros, yeah, first Ragnaros, then Nefarian, then the you know the 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 uh, AQ stuff, oh then yeah, AQ Kalfazad, then Kalfazad, yep, and then there'd be side stuff like you know Zolgarub or AQ twenty or what have you, and Zolgarub was the closest I've ever seen to like uh, it was like a forty man raid boss in a twenty man raid, yeah, it was just you know. And man, I, I still think ZG is one of the best like integrated story raids they've ever had, where it, it is all tied in. But it is just generally harder to get a cohesive story out of the older content. That's just the way it is, and it's one of the reasons why I'm glad they're going to let people level. Like being able to go from like level 10 to level 50 in Battle for Azeroth, I think that's a good idea because it will make the most sense to you. As to why you're doing, yeah. like, why am I going to the Shadowlands? Well, I just saw why in this previous expansion. Now, I'll, now that I'm caught up on that story, I'll know why I'm doing the next thing. And you can go back later and explore the older stuff that is just unavoidably detached from the, the story just because of time. That's just what happened. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the TLDR is don't have the expectation that if that's what you're looking for out of the game, especially for the early content, 
you're not going to get it. Um, even if you spend the entire time like with the scalable zones, just because of how those those particular expansions were set up, even in Cataclysm, how that sort of resulted and everything sort of like shook out. Um, I'd look more towards the books if, if your girlfriend really cares about like the relationships between people uh, and the characters and really wants to get invested that way. That's where I would lean. Otherwise, start looking at the later expansions, especially when Shadowlands hits, and go that route. That's absolutely the best way, to, I think, that you can go about it. Um, our next question comes from Arulean. I probably pronounced that absolutely terribly, and I apologize. Question for the podcast. I've been playing a Death Knight as my main off and on since Wrath. I hate to say it, but I've become bored with the class over the course of the last three expansions. Is there any ranged class that you'd re- recommend that I try? Uh, uh, their character name is Zuna, Drenai Death Knight. So, yeah. Uh, what do you think? A ranged class you like, Matt? Well, Shattering Throw is a ranged attack. <laughs> it's coming back in, in, in Shadowlands, so even Warriors will now have two ranged attacks. We count. No, I, look, the only one I could even get myself to play was a Hunter, and I played that mostly as survival. Um, not the guy from ranged... I like Shaman because I think Elemental is relatively easy to pick up. It's also about to get real exciting in the next expansion. Like Shadowlands when is going to make Elemental real exciting. When I say relatively, I, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you know, I'm not I'm not denigrating it. I'm just saying some classes oh, some classes require a lot of work to to grasp. Um, I'm thinking Warlocks here. I, I I can't do it. Every time I even try a Warlock, I'm like ten levels in. And I'm like I'm done. Joe recently leveled a mage, so I'm sure he has things to say about that. I do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am not a ranged guy. So yeah, I'm going to sit this one out. So, I mean, I have three ranged classes that I find myself going back to over and over and over again, uh, which is pretty... I think there's only four or five, so yeah, pretty par for the course. Um, I am really having a ton of fun with mage. I think uh, once I got past that, that barrier of level 50 absolutely having a blast just blowing things up with arcane energy uh it can be a little daunting if you want to play it super well like at a competitive level uh but if you just want to have fun and plink around mage is is definitely i think really cool because i mean you get the option of throwing fireball large chunks of ice or hi this is a magic missile from D. we just can't call it magic missile but you have it anyway like there's a ton of cool stuff there Hunters, I still think Hunters are a ton of fun, uh, especially over the last two expansions. I've really rediscovered my love for Hunters, and so I think that's definitely a range class worth looking into. But my heart will 100% always be very strongly rooted in Elemental Shaman. Uh, it's been not exciting over the last couple expansions just because they've they sort of oversimplified it. Uh, and they made it sort of like a resource management class as opposed to what it used to be, which was a cooldown management class, which sounds awful, but is a lot more fun and engaging than, than the name actually states. Because instead of worrying about, do I have enough Maelstrom to go do this? It's, I want to cast a huge Earthshock, so I'm going to cast a huge Earthshock now. And it was more, is this off of cooldown versus do I have resources for it? And they're moving closer to that in Shadowlands. And honestly, throwing lightning, throwing fire throwing large shocks of like basically a giant snowball uh causing the ground to earth like quake underneath things feet uh being able to summon a lightning strike that knocks all of your enemies back yes elemental shaman 
I'm going to say give that a shot. That's uh, real close, real close to my heart. <laughs> uh, sorry, anything else to add to that one, Matt? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> All right, our next one. Hello, this email is being written shortly after the fourth time Felsteel Annihilator dropped for me as I ran the Hellfire Citadel raid in WoW. I run all the versions regularly on four of my characters weekly because it's a good source of reliable gold, and I'm still trying to get the belts for the mage cloth set, which don't drop off bosses, but on trash mobs. I feel guilty every time the mountain drops because I know several of my people in guild don't have it and I have to actively destroy it to get it out of my inventory. I wish for the ability to put BOP loot in the guild's bank so then my guild friends can have it. Do you have loot that matches you feel guilty for seeing it drop in a run uh, and have to vendor destroy it? Also, would you want a feature to drop off legacy raid loot in your guild bank so you can share loot you don't need to your friends? Finally, uh, the final thing that is making me grouchy is having to compete against the other faction in getting kill credit. Can't we all just share kill credit? Thank you guys so much for the podcast. Uh, Necrosis of Coral Straws. Go ahead. Yeah, yes, you can share kill credit. They just don't. You'll notice there are certain mobs. It doesn't matter what faction has tagged them. You can still get kill credit on them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the case right now in game. So absolutely they could, but they choose not to because they want to re- they want to retain certain aspects of the Horde Alliance divide. And so could they? Yes. Will they? I have no idea. They're not doing it right now. As for loot that drops that I see drop a lot and that I feel guilty about, I have six Memorons heads in my bag. I have yet to ever see one drop. I have six of them. I had one. I got one back when you got it got a guaranteed kill that was when i got my first one because we did it we did it exactly once and i won the roll and got the and got them out and then i've killed him now i kill him all the time i i do i do zero i do zero keepers kills on him very constantly and he's dropped it like five six times so i keep him the thing is he only drops them on the character that originally got them out i've never seen it on any other character just that one guy. He, like of the thirty or forty times that I've killed him on that guy, he, he's dropped his head. Like he's dropped Mim's head like six times. So, don't know. I also have. I have multiple Warglaze of Azanoth on all of my characters, that can get it. Like the ones that can equip it, they all have at least one. And I've got both on two characters. Yeah, I'm I'm usually on the other side of this equation, so usually I'm on the one that wants something or is in a raid that sees it drop, but never actually get it. Um, I will tell the story of my hunt for the Dark Shaman Transmog, which lasted well over 450 days, um, where multiple people in my guild would get it and get multiple drops of the set, but couldn't trade it to me or do anything with it. So I literally had to keep going in to try to get the Dark Shaman Transmog uh, and just hope that one day it dropped. At one point it did, thankfully, but it was well over a year of doing that raid uh, that we I was finally able to get it when the three other Shaman in my group got it four or five times before I got it once. Um and it was one of those things where it's like, they already have it. Why can't they trade it to somebody else that's in the guild or in the raid run? I never quite understood that. Uh, 
And, like, I understand maybe a little bit with some of the mounts they want people to have content to go and do. But, yeah, like, I like the, the Memorons problem with the mounts, and stuff like that. You could trade Memorons head if you were in the group, at least. The yep. problem is, is I'm soloing this content. Yep. So I can't, there's nobody in the group with me. It feels like I should bring someone with me just so when it drops, I can give it to them. But then I'm always in there by myself. I go all the way through Alduar. I'm, you know, farming it, looking for stuff. Although the thing is, I, I very rarely go back there at this point because I have pretty much everything I want out of Alduar. So I, I haven't done it in two years. So I haven't seen it in two years. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I've got the, the experience of the shoulders. I used to have people link me the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look, I got these. Yeah, great, great. That's great, 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 just great. But, yeah, I, I don't – I feel like – I don't know if they should make it, you know, hey, I can put it in the guild bank so anyone can have it. But it would be nice if the if – the, right now, a lot of, for a lot of stuff, the only way people can get it outside of farming for it is to go spend ridiculous amounts of gold in the black market auction house. Yeah. And, yeah, I get it. That exists. Therefore, you have put another way to get things in. But it's still annoying to me. Well, especially when like you have like professions being so destroyed, like earning gold. Yeah, a lot of people find it are having less difficulty than others. But like me, I, we were talking about this in in guild last night when we were doing our mythic plus pushes. Uh, like I started this expansion with like eight hundred thousand gold, something like that. I'm down to one hundred and eighty k. I can't make gold for the life of me, even with doing old raids and stuff, just because my and server yeah. my server doesn't pay for transmog quite like others do and stuff like that so like and other, that's another people are like Black me, yeah i got five million gold i yeah. bought a, I bought a tall boy and it's like i've got nothing yeah and but it's like for for like me like saying the black market auction house yes it is a option to get that mount but it really isn't for me not now um but no i, I would like to see them actually revisit some of these particularly some of the rarer drops to see if there's a way that they could Maybe not loosen it up completely, but give a little more flexibility. Like, I, I think maybe trading it to people in your guild wouldn't be a terrible idea. Like, it it would also help start to encourage or foster sort of those guild relationships again. And this is something that I know this is sort of off topic and I apologize, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot is I remember the days uh, and going back to classic and, and Burning Crusade and and even Wrath of Lich King where your guild worked together to make sure everybody had everything they needed, whether it was fire resist gear, nature resist gear, uh, whether it was consumables, bloody heroes, things like that. Like you all worked together and there was this genuine sense of like common purpose. We sort of lost that recently like over the last several expansions because while you're in a guild and you may feel connected with them aside from maybe farming consumables for your group what other guild like real activities besides raiding or, or things like that do we really engage in to push other guild activities along anymore uh i would like to see maybe something like this uh, where they loosen it up, where maybe you do old content, and if there's more than one person in the group with you, uh, you could actually put it in your guild bank where it makes the restriction a little bit lighter so that your guild could actually, you could give it to somebody who would want it. So you're not sitting there with six of them in your bag and destroying them or not destroying them because you feel guilty about it. Uh, and then you wind up in what I call the fabular situation where you have no bag space because bag space is the devil. But you ripped that off from me. I didn't have any bag space. Two expansions before he didn't have any bag space. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would like to see them revisit it. I, I mean, 
especially now with like with Shadowlands coming out and them already taking a look at all these other systems, I personally would think that this would be a really good opportunity to start taking a look at uh, particularly legacy loot, especially with the new leveling experience going on with that, you know, everything being 10 to 50 now and you choosing and they haven't really stated how anything else like that's going to work. Maybe we'll hear more about it tomorrow, but I would like to see them take a look at legacy loot and maybe tweak the system in general to make it a little more forgiving so that maybe it's a little more, I don't want to say fun, but maybe we could be a little a little nicer with what we give out to folks. Honestly, I would think it would be nice if everybody had like one thing they could, like one time a month you could do the equivalent of, you know how people, when they get pets, they can put the pet in a cage and put it up on the auction house and do whatever with it? Imagine yeah. if once a month you could do that with a piece of, of soulbound gear. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, it's bound to you, but you can put it in a box and once a month. You've yeah. used your once a month, so you can't do it again. But here, that one thing. And, you know, I yes, people would use it to get their alts gear that they could then destroy stuff with. Okay. I don't care. It's not that big a deal. Like, though, especially since gear is getting seriously flattened out in Shadowlands, whereas, like, the raid gear from, like, one... It, it's just... Gear is completely all over the place anyway. Can because it, of uh, item squishing and gear squishing and all that stuff. So yeah, can I, just, can I can I segue into another rant real quick, just just while we still have some time? This also okay. makes me feel a little like I want to say grumpy about personal loot in general, just because I think they need to revisit that system. I don't mind it as a whole, but I still think it's way too restrictive on what you can trade off. And what you can't trade off, especially the in the thing where group. it won't let you, it won't let you trade an item because the item is of a higher item level than the item you're uh, using. From or no, no, the thing where even if like let's say I have an axe that's X item level and a staff drops that is the exact same item level, I can't trade it unless I have a staff of that level or higher. That's or shield they do it by, or shield because they do it by they do it by weapon type or item type. And like I, I that's a weird restriction to me. Like, I'm not going to use this. Why make me keep it? Yeah. yeah. It, that one, the thing where, you know, I, I've got a best-in-slot item that's technically lower level than this, but I'm not going to switch it off because this will cost me the, the reason I'm using the other item, but I can't get rid of it. That's just silly. It's like, why are you making me keep this thing? It's You're, you're punishing both of us. For no reason. I'm not going to use this item. Let me, let me trade it off. I understand that they're worried people will feel pressured, into sure. giving away items, but but I mean, um, like, and, and like, and, and I understand why they did it for like groups like LFR and for like pickup groups and stuff like that. One hundred percent understandable because they don't want people sitting there badgering people in those runs and things like that. But w w before this was across the board, there used to be an option for guilds to sort of like circumvent that system if it was a guild run. And I understand they're worried about people selling runs and selling gear and all that stuff. But at the end of the day. Like, what causes more harm? A guild that's not that or that's got all these raids on farm, selling gear to players that have too much gold that they know what to do with, or the guild groups that can't get certain players items that they need to help progress as a group. Like, and I know it's such a weird thing, like a weird hill to die on, but it bothers me because, like, as a guild, my guild has hit several stumbling blocks over the this course of this expansion of Battle for Azeroth because of that, where we couldn't get past a specific boss because we couldn't get a certain person geared, so we'd have to either remove them from the raid to, to make up the difference with the scaling or, you know, wait for them to, to get a lucky drop or something like that. And it's just, it feels bad. So I don't know. 
So I don't know. We've completely and totally not really answered your question, but kind of. <laughs> we, tr- we tried. Give it to us. We tried. Uh, all right. So I guess we'll go on to the next one. And this is uh, from our good friend, Lord Soth. Uh, I thought about Joe's question at the end of the last podcast episode about what we thought might happen as a pre-launch event. I know you guys focus on the theory about chasing down Nathanos and Sylvanas, but what if we focused on Tyrande and the Night Elves? Matt has pointed out many times that Hyjal looks down over Orgrimmar, and Tyrande isn't exactly pleased with them. What if a pre-expansion event has her retaliation against Orgrimmar, and we have to watch her assault the city? That'd be an interesting thing. Something in my mind rings a bell about Tehran being featured heavily and Ardenwell. What if her story is something akin to people like Cenarius slamming her in the face with this is the destruction of nature that you wrought in your wrath? There is certainly self-justification for attacking Orgrimmar, but there's also the point that potentially committing genocide as retaliation for genocide is still morally wrong. Thanks for the podcast. I love hearing you guys talk every week. Uh, well, I can tell you off, up right now. Thanks, Lord Soth. what happens. But it's not what happens, yeah. No. Um, I know enough from actually being in the Alpha that if that were what had happened, there's a moment where the Horde and Alliance leaders are standing in the same room. They, the exchange between them is not one of you. You did horrible things to us too. It's not. That's just not there. Um, I, so I don't think that's going to be what happens. If it, the problem I have with it, if it is what they did, is it ultimately there's a problem with with Blizzard storytelling when they do this kind of thing. They they were having that problem with Jaina, and they finally managed to sidestep it. But for a long time, anytime someone's angry, mm-hmm. anytime someone wants revenge, it's wants rege- wants some kind of justice. They're portrayed as unreasonable, especially if it's a woman. They're portrayed as crazy and out of control. And I don't want to see that with Taranda. I don't want to see Taranda turned unreasonable, commits genocide. Now she's just as bad as them because that's an easy way to dismiss what happened. It's an easy way to put, well, you're just as bad because you did a bad thing. Um, it's not good storytelling for Taranda as a character. It's not good storytelling for the Horde, quite frankly. Sooner or later, the Horde needs to actually step up and own what it has been doing for multiple expansions. And I'm I'm hopeful that that's going to happen, but having Toronto just rock on up to Orgrimmar in genocide, you know, it, it's you're just as bad. You'd do it too. That that's not compelling to me. I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but it, it's it's taking Toronto and it's removing her justification because now, well, you know, the only reason that you're mad at us is because we did it first, and that's not really the case. Taranda suffered horrible loss, not just of her people, but also of... Taranda had a worldview for 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. And that worldview was that Elune, you know, her duty was to Elune, and in return, Elune was, was the protector and shepherd of their people. When when characters like Sarah Moonward say, Elune abandoned me, that's agonizing for Taranda, because she can't argue it. Well, yeah, not even just abandon me, but like Sarah Moonwarden points out, uh, abandon our people, not just and one individual elf, our people. When you see Taranda become the Night Warrior, she demands it. She doesn't request it. She's not humbly serving Elune anymore. She demands that Elune give her the power. Yeah, you will give me the power for my vengeance. Give it to me now. And she even says something like, you know, if I, or I won't serve you anymore. 
Toronto is no longer somebody who believes wholeheartedly in her goddess. And that's something she's held for 10,000 years. That's something she held so strongly that when Malfurion was in danger, she left him to his fate and went to the Temple of Elune because it was her duty mm -hmm. to go to the Temple of Elune to confront Ysera. That was her duty. And she saw Elune respond. She saw Elune take Ysera up into the heavens. So she, you know, her faith was rewarded. She'd made a sacrifice, but it was she believed it was the right decision. Now she's in a place where she doesn't know what the right decision is anymore. She doesn't have that faith she had. Could she do something horrible to the Horde to take revenge? Absolutely she could. I don't think it should be something as simple as, okay, it's, it's you know, I'm rocking up to Orgrimmar with, like, you know, vengeance armies. I think it we need to see what's going on. Ardenwild is definitely going to be part of her, her transformation. It's going to be part of her story. And I, I don't want her to become... I don't want her to forget what happened. I don't want her to be like, well, okay, you killed like a whole bunch of my people, but you know, you did a nice thing, so we're we're even with Stevens now. I want this to be something that lingers. I want this to be something that is not gone in an expansion or two expansions. Uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that they have burn scars for night elves. Yeah, we were talking about that last week, actually. Yeah, they've actually named it on the most recent alpha. They're named Teldrassil. So if you have these burn scars on your character, they're canonically from Teldrassil. You got them when you got burned when your home was destroyed. And I think that's great. I think that's exactly... This should never go away. This is like the destruction of Silvermoon was for the Blood Elves. The, remember when the Scourge rocked up through Silvermoon and destroyed huge chunks of it? Even after they rebuilt, they never forgot. And this is what that is for the Night Elves, except the Blood Elves and all the Horde made it happen. And that's something that should never be forgotten. It should never be out of the story. This, and it doesn't mean the Horde has to always be the bad guys in every story from now on. It just means that this is something... If Thrall is talking and Taronda is there, Taronda should be hostile to him. She should never be, we're buddies now. It should never be again like showing up at his wedding type type thing. You know, they, they don't have that relationship anymore. And the only way to rebuild any kind of relationship is to deal with what happened, not to fix it or tit for tat it. Like, you know, okay, well, I've burned Orgrimmar down, so now we're even. No, I don't think that would be good storytelling. I don't want to see Taronda become... I don't want to see her just be turned into the unreasonable character who does an awful thing. That's that's not what I want to see. I yeah. want to see Taronda's story move if, forward. It would feel like a disservice to the character, and I think that's sort of the biggest thing, right? Like, I understand why a lot of people want uh, Taron to have sort of that revenge moment. They want to have her in that position of power, but there's this, this moment where you start getting towards mustache-twirling villain, and that's the problem like you can get pretty close to like some awful things that don't necessarily have to be genocide they don't have to be complete destruction uh etc etc uh, and autoluk thrall is part of the horde again that he's part of the council that's no that's, yeah he is he is that's there. that's not a spoiler that's that's been pretty pretty out there he is one of the representatives on the horde council currently um, he's not so, the war chief, but he's definitely taking a leadership position. Right, so he he's is, just not he the is only the leader. Yeah, 
So he is still the Horde. And that's the thing, right? Like, the, we talk about this a lot, and we talk about this on Lore Watch, where the Horde has shifted. The Horde is, is not what it used to be, or at least it looks like it's growing beyond that point. And that's good. That's good character development. That's good growth for what's basically been, and this is me as a primarily Horde player, a, a very one-node organization for the course of 16 years. Like, there we go. Uh, Alliance has also been pretty consistent in one note for almost that entire time and now we're starting to get actual growth and development from both i don't want to just see roles reversed i don't want to just see tehran start perpetrating these horrendous acts of aggression you know because oh the horde used to do this now she's going to do this and then the horde becomes the victim and all no that's not that's not good storytelling that's not good evolution of character uh and i think we owe tehran more than that too and I'm not going to get into any spoilers, but I'm going to say read Shadows Rising or listen mm-hmm. to the audiobook. They're starting to talk about things with Tyrande, and that's I'm not going to go into any details about it. Um, One but- thing that I think is clear right now, it's clear in Battle for Azeroth, so it's not a spoiler for anything. Tyrande doesn't actually care all that much about the Horde. She doesn't trust them, and she's, she doesn't believe that the treaty will work. But she doesn't care about them right now. She wants Sylvanas. Yeah. It's Sylvanas that she viscerally hates. And so rocking up to Orgrimmar and blowing it up doesn't actually serve her purposes. It takes pressure off Sylvanas, because as of right now, the Horde wants to kill Sylvanas as much as she does. It takes pressure off her, and it divides her focus. She can't be hunting Sylvanas and bringing all of her force to bear against Orgrimmar. Yeah, and, and don't forget, that's why she really became the Night Warrior to begin with. It wasn't, like, yes, the Horde tragedy is, is like, the event, but her singular focus is Sylvanas. It has been since that moment, because Sylvanas is the one that gave the order. Sylvanas is the one that that was her plan. You know, Sylvanas, for lack of a better term, is, a, I hate to say it like this, but is essentially an elven race trader in Tehran's eyes. She was an elf. She should remember who she was. She should. These were her people once, too. And yet, here she is doing these horrible things, taking these people and, and destroying them and tearing them apart. That's the source of her rage. Like, yes, she could be mad. We've had wars throughout all of these years of, of Azeroth. How many wars have we had? We've had, what, four at this point? Like, if five, if you want to count, like, some of the, the, the small, like, War of the Thorns and everything else in between. We've had conflict. We have loss of life. We've had open war between these factions. But this was slaughter of innocence, and it was a direct plan from one individual. And I feel moving away from that focus sort of, I don't want to say cheapens it, but it, it lessens the sacrifices that Tehran makes, and it sort of takes away from her character. I like her character right now. I like pissed off, angry Tyrande. I like looking at her and saying somebody who's not going to take crap anymore. That's cool because 90% of the time on the Alliance side, the only character who was ever in that mindset was Gen Greymane. And he was always painted as just an angry, crazy man. Give me somebody with purpose. Give me somebody who has a reason and measured response to what's going on, seeking that revenge, not just 
angry rage face. And now you got something that's got me interested. Now you got me something that makes me look at what are the elves going to do now? What is this going to be? What's the long game? You know, once they get Sylvanas or once they get to a certain point with Sylvanas, what happens then? What's the aftermath? How is this all going to start cooling down? That's more interesting to me than just saying, yep, she's evil now. Blow up stuff. So I don't know if you guys remember this. And I, I do want us to move on because, you know, otherwise we'll be talking about Toronto for the entire show. But back in Legion, at one point, you had the Blood Elves, the Night Elves, and the High Elves all show up at Suramar to help the Nightborn rebel against the Legion. For one brief moment, it was like every elf had come together. Yeah, unified in purpose. And then that fell apart super fast. Um... And at the time, I was annoyed because I'd done a lot of work as a character playing a Night Elf to get the Nightborn free, and then they went and joined the Horde, and that was really irritating to me. Uh, lesson to Blizzard, if you have an entire quest line where both factions take part, and then you have one faction get the reward of that quest line, it don't feel good. Um, but that, that whole thing fell apart, and there are good story reasons for it to have. But right now, that, they've never been less united. Where like there's now, there's now former blood elves living in the in in the alliance capital. There's the blood elves and the highborn of and the nightborn have made their alliance. The night elves are clearly no longer interested in alliances in general. There's a lot going on there, and I don't think a simple Taronda blows up Orgrimmar storyline is going to be as good it's a good service to the potential that it has. I'll just say that much. You know, and there's, there's other, in, in sort of throwing this out there, and, and I'll give a shout out to Padilla P in, in chat there, uh, there are other potential things that maybe don't focus on Tyrande either. And we've talked about this, I know, on Lore Watch. I don't know if we talked about it, I, I can't remember here or not, but we have a whole thing going on with gnomes, too. Like, there's a whole lot of complicated things happening with gnome society as a direct result of this past expansion. And we don't know what's happening after that. Like, they just went through an entire uh, essential, like, coup, took over from a crazy king, stopping a world domination to, to mechanize everything. Uh, then you had, uh, why can't it, Mechatork, who gets frozen and brought to Mechagon, thought out, declared king of all gnomes. Like all gnomes, not not just like the gnomes that he, he had and before. keep in mind he he'd rejected the position of king. He had never called himself king. He was just the grand engineer, or I can't remember. I think it was high grand tinker, engineer. high tinker. tinker. Yeah. So like now he is the king. What does that mean? And why should we be afraid? Because honestly, if I'm a horde player, I'm more afraid of that than I am Tyrande. Gnomes are scary. Gnomes are very very scary. Gnomes make technology that is incredibly destructive, yet stable. Goblins blow stuff up. They 90% of the time, it's themselves. Not as scary as gnomes. Gnomes, mm, their technology works. Let me put to you this one way, if you, if you don't know why you should be scared of gnomes. The Zandalari had a navy significantly more powerful than any navy in the world. Significantly more powerful than the Kul'Tiran navy. Where is it now? It is on the bottom of the ocean floor mm -hmm. because gnomes put it there. Yep. 
the whole reason Mechatork was frozen was because he was losing a fight against the entire forces of the Horde, and he froze himself so they couldn't kill him. And now he's fine. So he basically beat the whole Horde. He tricked them and got away. He had to freeze himself to do it, but he was crazy enough to do that, and it worked. You know, gnomes... The longer you think about gnomes, the more scared you should be. A gnome was going to turn everybody on the planet to be either a machine or dead. I mean, and he could have done it. Don't forget, gnomes Gnomes back in Warcraft 2, they built submarines. Attack submarines. <laughs> I'm going to use a quote from, from Captain America, the first Avenger, because it's, it's a perfect thing for gnomes. Uh, the sanity of the planet is of no consequence because they can do it. Yeah. yeah. Mechagon's plan was utterly insane, but it would have worked. You should be afraid of gnomes. You should be very afraid of gnomes. Everybody should be afraid of gnomes. Not just the Horde, everyone. If the gnomes have decided to take over Azeroth, they're going to. I don't know why you think you could stop them. Really. I've always wanted to do an expansion that was literally just like about the threat that gnomes face. <laughs> no, gnomes, gnomes gone wild. <laughs> I think I wrote an article called Cult of the Mechanical about it. Like, seriously, like, what if, what if, uh, what if Mechazod took, came back and wanted to mechanize everybody? Well, and then they did it in an expan they did it in, like, one patch in this expansion. I was like, dang. But now, ex extrapolate that out. Like, and we, and we talked about this on, on Lorewatch, where, like, with all the stuff happening with Nazoth, there was one facility that did not participate in the reorigination process, and that was Alduar. And who cut Alduar off during that time? A certain mechanical gnome watcher? <laughs> who's very active up there. We don't know what he's doing. And he's got an entire subsection of that area that we have no clue what he's been doing since we've been there. Even when we went there to go clear out the, the infestation of Nazoth and the nightmare that, that Azeroth was having, we didn't go there. We didn't talk to him. We didn't do interact with him at all. We got in, did what we had to do to clear out the nightmare and left. He's still I there. The last time we saw him was the, the hunter artifact weapon quest for the saw the him. Gun. Yes. And we talked to him. We he's talked to him. The, he, he used some quests and stuff. But yeah. that's, that's it. That's the last real interaction we've had with him. Yeah. So, like, now what happens if, you know, Mechator goes, hey, uh, so I'm king of all gnomes again, or, or now, and they, they kind of won't let me say no. So, uh, you want to help out here, Mimron? Like, do you, you want to? We have people. We can build stuff. We have Mechagon now. You can come live with us. You know, that becomes even scarier. <laughs> That entire city of Mechagon, now with Mimron, it, it, like, having access to it. What does that mean? What horrors await us now? <laughs> uh, but I think that's all of our questions. Is there anything else you want to bring up there, Matt? No, no. I mean, I think that's pretty much... We got through all the questions, which is cool. Um, we're just about on time as well. We've got, like, two minutes left, so... Um, we can actually do a little bit of a final thought here. So, I haven't done one of these in a while, but... We do them all the time on the other podcasts, and they, they tend to work pretty well. So I'm going to talk about this. We, we talked – the initial email we had this week was talking about World of Warcraft's storytelling and, and how disjointed it can be. If you were to try and improve that without actually reworking or revamping the entire game, would, what would you do? Do you have any ideas for how people can get a better handle on the story of World of Warcraft by playing World of Warcraft? Oh, man. That is a real tough one because, unfortunately, like we talked about before, most of the early expansions 
I think don't really do a good job because they're sort of playing on the nostalgia. And I would even argue through Cataclysm, I think there's problems. I actually would probably start... I would probably start playing with Mists and then go up through there. Because from there, you get an idea of the interaction between the two factions. There is some history between them, but it brings you up to speed with the Pandarans, the culture, and, and sort of the, the history of the world at large. Because then you start to actually understand what the Titans were a little bit more, what the old gods were a little bit more. And that sort of sets the stage for everything that happens afterwards and actually gives you a pretty good background on stuff that happened before. Uh, and then when you go to places like Warlords of Draenor, while Warlords of Draenor wasn't the best expansion, the story there really does make a lot more sense if you have sort of that framework, because then they start talking more about, well, on our world this, and on our world that. Uh, and I think if you go from Mists to Warlords and just follow through, I think you get enough of everything that happened previously that you don't you get the basic gist of it. You're not going to have everything because I don't think that we're going to be in a position where we could ever have everything purely through playing the game. It's just too large at this point, but I think that's going to give you enough of the relationships, the interaction between the factions, history of the world, and some of the mega powers of the cosmology. I think that's your best bets. For me, I would actually put in something that I've seen in other MMOs and other games with complex stories. I'd put in chapters and I'd have the chapters be more directly linked. So if you you know, okay, if I'm doing this story, the next thing I should do is this story. And have that lead you through the zones and lead you to various quests. And there's quests you wouldn't be part of it. They're, they're side quests. Mm -hmm. They'd be their own thing. But you could f more easily follow the storyline because there'd literally be like in-between narration and stuff, like little cutscenes that would tell you, you know, this is like what was happening so far. And so far, you know, like the Final Fantasy XIV main story quest stuff almost. What did you say? I didn't hear it. Like in Final Fantasy fourteen, how they have like the main story quest line that you can just follow from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily that because I haven't played that game and don't know what they do. But I was actually thinking like Star Wars: The Old Republic does. Oh, yeah. Okay. Where they? Because I have played that game and know what they do. <laughs> it's, it's it's just down to that. Um, I can't get into another MMO right now, guys. I, I I need to do things with my life. I can't be playing too. Um, but yeah, just something that basically acts like a frame to take you this is this is the stuff that links up this is the stuff that unfolds and you wouldn't really need to actually change any quests or add anything that way no new just adding guidance you just add in like you know effectively like when you when you go to to like stormwind and a quest pops up with anduin telling you come to the throne room put that stuff in more often and have it like actually have cutscenes and so forth that 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 provides a bridge kind of actually like steal the way warcraft 3 did it uh, yeah. Quite frankly, so if we're going to be like d relying on Warcraft Three for our nostalgia, actually use the mechanics that Warcraft Three had in place to make stuff connect. That's what I would do. Yeah, I, I think that's actually pretty good. So, yeah, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, and for those, the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, we we're just talking about Shadows Rising releasing. Uh, this is a great opportunity 
to sign up and get ready to use that credit for it. Uh, so you can download Shadows Rising uh, or Wolfheart or Lord of the Clans or several other uh, Blizzard-focused books to, to sort of get you prepped for everything that's about to come and many of other Blizzard's titles at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, walruses have t- tusks now, but they didn't always have tusks, and I felt the need to bring that up. Uh, if you, you know, get an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast, blizzardwatch, or why didn't walruses always have tusks, and we'll make sure it's for this show, especially the tusk questions. I know those are for this show. The thing that really gets me here is that this seems completely unwow related, but I know Joe wants to Tuscar. play a Tuscar. I want to play a Tuscar. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it, it does all kind of tie together. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. On behalf of Joe, who I just made laugh with a walrus reference, and myself, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.